Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you guys. I'm happy to be with you as we continue in our series we've titled Miraculous. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to go ahead and find your way to John chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, the scriptures will be up on the screen behind me. And while you're searching for John chapter 5, let me tell you a little short story that you might find very interesting. Several years ago, a San Francisco area school district did an interesting experiment. They chose three teachers and they said, you're the best teachers that we have and you've been selected to teach 90 students with high IQs and we are going to allow you to move at their pace and we're gonna see how much they can learn over the course of a year. At the end of the school year, those specially selected students had achieved 20 to 30% more than the rest of the students in that school district. Well, the principal, he called the teachers in and he said to them, he said, I have a confession to make to you. You really did not have 90 high IQ students. They were all just average students that we randomly selected. Well, as you can imagine, the teachers were feeling pretty good about themselves until he followed it up and he said, and I have another confession to make. You are not the best teachers we have. Your names, <laughs> your names were just the first three that we pulled out of a hat. The moral of the story is you get what you expect. And here's a truth for all of us to remember this morning, good or bad, our expectations largely determine what our life will become. And that's a good word for our graduates today. So keep that in mind as we look at this passage in John chapter five, verses one through nine. I'll be reading from the New International Version. The scriptures say sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, near the sheep gate is a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. And it was surrounded by five covered, covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now let me set the, sh the scene for you here. Modern archeological excavations have uncovered what is said to be the ancient pool of Bethesda. It is a complex with two pools 20 feet deep and about as large as the size of a football field. And those colonnades that are mentioned in that scripture, well, those provided shade for the brutal Middle Eastern sun. So it was a natural gathering place. And the man mentioned in this scripture this invalid had spent the vast majority of his life going to that pool, begging and begging for money, day in and day out. And when you think about it, you begin to realize that his very existence was probably one of the most monotonous ever. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, his life consisted of the same thing happening over and over and over again. And to make matters worse, the mat that, that, he, that he laid on 
would have been about two feet by four feet. So eight square feet was this guy's entire world. But there was one thing that kept him coming back and kept his hopes alive. Every once in a while, the waters in Bethesda would be stirred. The cause of the stirring was, was no doubt an intermit, the intermittent springs that fed into that pool, but a superstition began to grow there. They said that the stirring of the waters was caused by angels. And furthermore, after the water was stirred, the first one into the water would be the winner. They would be healed of their infirmity. Now that sounds like a bad scene to a bad movie, doesn't it? You got hundreds of people with, with different disabilities, some who can't walk, some who cannot see, all of them digging their way, clawing their way to get into that pool. I believe the, the only thing more tragic than this scene is the fact that it was a false hope based upon a false assumption. And so as you read this story, you begin to understand that, that this invalid's greatest handicap was not physical. His most debilitating handicap was a false assumption that he needed to be the first one into the pool when the water stirred. And please understand something. He did this for 38 years of his life. Now, I don't know how many times the water stirred at the pool of Bethesda. One could speculate at least a couple of thousands of times in his lifetime where this man desperately tried to be the first one into the water. And it's right about here that you realize more than ever that sometimes we need to come alongside each other and we need to be brutally honest and blunt with those who we love. Kind of like when Dr. Phil asked the guests on his show, how's that working for you? In other words, you've got this all wrong, my friend. Please don't spend any more time and effort indulging yourself into this silly superstition. The stirring of the waters is not by angels and it will not heal you. Like many of you, I, tr I attempt to watch my caloric intake. And as you can see, I need to do better at it. But there was a period of time when I wasn't eating anything for breakfast. I found it quite easy not to eat anything at all in the morning. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I just cut out an entire meal. I should really be able to shed some pounds now. But then Lisa comes up to me one day and she says, you know, David, not eating breakfast in the morning, that, that's not the answer. Your body needs fuel in, in, in order to function properly, and your body needs fuel in order to kickstart your metabolism. You're not giving your body the chance to do what God designed it to do. It was one of those moments when I needed someone to come alongside of me and be blunt and to tell me what I, did, what I was doing was not helping me at all. In fact, it was actually hurting me. And so here's a bit of advice for all of us this morning. If you want God to do something new in your life, maybe you need to quit doing the same old thing. You gotta do something different. You gotta raise your expectations. You've got to raise your level of faith. Well, I think the turning point in this story is when Jesus asked the question, do you wanna get well? It almost sounds a little insulting, doesn't it? 
Of course I want to get well, Jesus. I mean, look at me. I can't walk. I've spent my entire life lying on this mat. It's almost as though Jesus is adding insult to injury. But here's something that I've discovered. I can become an obstacle from Jesus helping me. If I'm not willing to make changes, if I'm not willing to make tough decisions, if I'm not willing to do something, we've been talking about this a lot over the last several weeks. There is almost always a human element found in the miracles in the scriptures. You have to do the natural before God will do the supernatural. So I think sometimes we get stuck in this place. And I believe that this is really the heart of this particular story. This invalid saw only one way in which he could be healed. And it was hopping into that pool. And not just that, but being the first one in. But he also had this expectation of how he wanted to experience his healing. And I think sometimes our expectations can either box God in or completely box him out of the situation. There is a wonderful example of this found in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's a story about a man named Naaman, and you can turn there if you'd like, but you can also follow along on the screen because I'm going to be moving pretty quick here. Naaman was a commander of the army of Syria. He was highly regarded, and he was a valiant soldier. But he had one major problem. He had leprosy. This guy was a high roller, and he shows up with some horses and some chariots. Translated today, he drives up in a limousine with his entourage, and he comes to the door of the prophet Elijah because he needs a miracle. He needs a cure from his leprosy. And here's how it all plays out, starts playing out in, in 2 Kings 5, verses 9 and 10. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to him to say, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Then verse 11 says, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over my spot and cure me of my leprosy. So Naaman is angry and Naaman is sulking like a little child. Why? Because of his expectations. And his expectations are revealed right in that scripture where it says, I thought that he would surely come out to me. His expectations was that because since he was such a prominent person, that the prophet of God would certainly come out and meet him in person. And so when Elijah sent his messenger, he was offended. But before you get too judgmental on old Naaman this morning, I want you for a minute to think about the relationships in your own life. And if you are brutally honest with yourself, you'd have to agree, agree that your expectations of others, combined with them not meeting your expectations, has probably caused at least half of your relational issues and challenges because folks, they just don't line up with reality. So again, he says in verse 11, 
I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. In other words, that was the only option that Naaman could see. And then Naaman says this in verse 12, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. This guy is about ready to completely miss out on his miracle. But what did I say last week? You are someone else's miracle. And if it wasn't for an unexpected encounter in this story, this miracle never would have happened. Verse 13, Naaman's servant went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed. Now you gotta give some credit to Naaman here because at least he was willing to listen to the reasoning of one of his servants. And therefore he was willing to alter his expectations. Verse 14, so he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Naaman received his miracle. He received his healing from leprosy when he changed his expectations. And here's what I'm guessing this morning. Some of us, we wanna outline our agenda to God, which is based on nothing more than our expectations. We wanna tell God exactly how to do something. We always want God to bless our plans instead of us being about his business and doing the things that he is blessing. We want God so often to serve our purposes. But if we could just unlearn some of our wrong expectations and begin to think differently, we might get in on some of our own miracles. That's what I wanna tell you this morning. In other words, we need to have sanctified expectations. And this morning, we're gonna get very practical, provide a couple of ideas because I believe that God does indeed wanna sanctify my and your expectations. But in order for our expectations to be sanctified, we ourselves must become sanctified. And so I wanna give you four simple suggestions that I believe will help you and I in this endeavor. And I'm borrowing these from fellow AG Pastor Mark Batterson. And the first one is this, begin your day in prayer. Psalm 5.1 says, this is David, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Here's a harsh reality, and I'm gonna say it as simply as I know how to. If I'm not praying, then my expectations are very low. And frankly, I'm really not expecting anything. But when I pray, what happens is I begin to expect God to move in my life. Let me share with you something I read that I found quite amazing. At the base of your brainstem is a cluster of nerve cells called the reticular activating system. It's a part of your brain that is responsible for what gets noticed and what gets ignored. 
There's, there are millions of stimuli flying at you every single day, every moment of every day, and if you paid attention to every one of them, it would literally drive you crazy. So this part of your brain determines what you notice and what you don't notice. As an example, have you ever gone out and ladies and bought a new style of clothing and suddenly you become acutely aware of other women wearing that same style of clothing? Well, what has happened is actually you now have a category in your reticular activating system for that piece of clothing. Same thing happens, men, when we go out and buy a new car or a new truck. We begin to notice the other cars or trucks out there that are just like ours, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm a real trendsetter. No, you're not. You're not. You just weren't noticing it before because you didn't have a category for it in your brain. This is why goal setting is so important. And if you apply this in the context of what we've read, we're talking about this as an expression of faith, faith being sure of what we hope for. In other words, goals begin to create categories in our reticular activating system. It allows us to notice things that we might otherwise miss and completely walk by. So if you don't have these goals, you're gonna miss these things. And I would suggest to you this morning that prayer is important for the very same reason. Because if you think about it, prayer will sanctify your reticular activity system and you'll start to notice the kinds of things that God wants you to notice. Otherwise, you just miss them. They just fly by you every day because it's not in you. Let me get even more practical. One of the things that I do daily is I pray over any meetings or appointments that I have during the course of my day. I pray for the people who I'm going to meet, who I'm going to connect with that day, as well as the things that I am going to say or potentially do. And I can't tell you how often God has turned some of those moments into divine appointments. And I think it all starts with the expectation that you and I are someone else's miracle. And God, therefore, is setting us up, as I said last week, for divine appointments. And it is our job to keep those appointments. I was approached by a man at this church after a service when I had talked about divine appointments. He said, what a timely time for you to mention divine appointments. He explained how he had been praying for his neighbor. And he'd been asking God for a long time that him and his neighbor would meet face to face. He lives in an area where there's large acreage, so it's not like he runs into his neighbor when he gets in and out of his car in the morning or comes home at night. So he got up early one morning and he passed his neighbor's property and lo and behold, the man was standing out near the street. Finally, these two, they meet face to face. And he did exactly what he believed God wanted him to do. As the conversation continued, this man from from our church began to talk about Jesus. And he shared the plan of salvation with him. And and this man acted upon what he had prayed God for. It was a divine appointment. And I believe that it happened because his expectations were sanctified. He prayed that this would happen. He had expectation that it would. It was a sanctified expectation. And therefore, it worked out precisely the way that it should have. And speaking of expectations, 
I've shared with you several times before about how the number one thing that as your pastor I pray for is wisdom. Well, there's another thing that I pray for regularly, and it is God's favor. And can I just say that when I look back on situations that have happened in my life, it is often the favor of God. The favor of God is what God can do for you that you cannot do for yourself. In other words, if you take credit for it, people are going to laugh at you because they know that God is the only one who could have made that happen. And and I'm not surprised about the favor of God because I pray for it every single day. But in addition to that, I'm a child of God and, and God loves to show favor to his children. So I pray for favor with my interactions with people during the day. And I pray for God's favor upon this church always. I have prayed Luke chapter two, verse 52 many times, but I've modified it. I've customized it just a little bit when I pray. May I grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. There is great joy to be found when you live life in God's divine favor, when things happen for you, when doors open that only God could open, when opportunities arise that could have never happened any other way than supernaturally. A great example of this, and I hope you don't mind me telling you stories about our life, but is, has to do with the house that we had to sell when we left Phoenix to come here to Red Bluff. The housing crash in 2008 decimated the the housing market in Phoenix. It was one of the worst hit metropolitan areas in the country. And we were upside down in our house. Well, get this. God brought a buyer who loved our house so much that he was willing to offer $25,000 more than the appraised value to buy it. And guess what? $25,000 was exactly what we needed to get out from underneath it. Now, yeah. Now, we walked away with not a dime, and that hurt. I mean, we had put $40,000 down, I think, on that house when we bought it. And that's how bad the market hit there. We, we, We took it in the shorts. But we got out from underneath that house, and we didn't have to, we didn't have to, uh, you know, go through a foreclosure or, or anything like that. That doesn't just happen, ladies and gentlemen. That is the favor of God. And that favor happens because I have expectations that I live daily in God's favor. I often tell Lisa, I, I think I'm one of God's favorites. <laughs> I do. You ever feel that way? He just keeps blessing us and, and blessing us. What I'm saying is I expect God to show his favor. I pray for it. I believe him for it. And every one of us needs to accept this truth and to pray the favor of God over our lives, over our families, over over our jobs. And when we begin our day with prayer, we can do exactly what David said in Psalm chapter five. We can wait in expectation. I know that waiting isn't fun. I can be one of the most impatient people in some areas of any human you've ever been, and I've got patience that my wife tells me is very long. But somewhere in between, I think, is where my average is. But, and I don't like to wait, but the truth is we can all wait with great expectation of what God is eventually going to do, amen? Okay, number two, 
Get into God's word. And I know you're thinking, here we go again. You hammered us on this last week. But I want you to listen. Here's what happens, happens when you get into God's word. God's word gets into you. The Holy Spirit quickens within you the promises of God found in the scriptures. I really don't know how else to say it, but when you're in the word of God, it upgrades your expectations. And here's something I read the other day that is powerfully true. And don't ask me to repeat this, it's a long one. You're gonna have to listen to it again if you wanna get it completely. Either your circumstances are going to conform to your theology, or your theology is going to conform to your circumstances. At the end of the day, either you are going to give up on what you believe and let your theology dumb down to the place of your reality, or you are going to keep believing that your reality will continue to be upgraded until it conforms with your theology. It's a powerful statement. So if you were in the word, you don't have a shot at that. You have to be in the word. You have to be and understand the promises of God in order for the word of God to upgrade you. As you download the word of God into you like a computer, it upgrades your operating system. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you believe. It changes the way you act. And most importantly, it changes the way you react. Because if you're like me, sometimes your reactions aren't the best at the beginning. Can anybody else say amen to that? All right, I'm just being real with you. Let me share a little more scientific information with you to help frame all of this. Neuroimaging has shown that as we age, the center of cognitive gravity shifts. It goes from the imaginative right brain to the logical left brain. So if you think about it, this neurological tendency presents a grade of spiritual danger in that at some point, most of us stop living out of imagination and we start living out of memory. In other words, we stop creating a future and we start repeating the past over and over and over again. And I honestly believe that this is when we start to die a little bit inside. So instead of living by faith, we start to live by logic. And that's no fun at all. Logic is boring. At the end of the day, either memory will overtake imagination or imagination will overtake memory. One of the most imaginative people that I know with some of the greatest visionary capabilities combined with a great faith in God is Pastor Tommy Barnett. And while he is an icon within our denomination, and you see how God has had his hand upon the man and the church that he leads, and great things have occurred in that ministry, deep down inside, when you get to know Pastor Tommy Barnett at this stage in his life, he is like a kid in a candy store. His excitement and his anticipation for life and what God can accomplish in our day he can't even contain. One of the things that I have learned to love about Tommy Barnett at 83 years of age is that I don't know anybody who has retained more youthful qualities into his senior adulthood than he has. 
I, I, what I see in his life is someone whose imagination has overtaken memory. And I, for one, want to live that kind of a life. What does that have to do with this story, you may ask? Well, I think it has a lot to do with it because what we have here is an invalid of 38 years. And when the Bible says something that specific, it's doing so for a reason. Why would that be pointed out? Well, I believe it was because Jesus wanted a most difficult case. You see, that guy had been lying there every day after day, almost forever, most of his life. I believe the average lifespan in that day was about 44 years of age. So this guy on, on, the, on the stats was nearing the end of his life. So let me ask you an important question. At what point do you give up? At what point do you quit going to the pool of Bethesda altogether? At what point do you quit trying to be the first one down into the water when it stirs? Would anybody do that for 10 years? Would anybody do it for 25 years? At what point do you give up? I think what inspires me about this guy is although he might've had the wrong expectations and been making false assumptions, he is still holding on to hope. He still believes in a miracle. And I love that about him. I think what I'm trying to say to you this morning is some of you have given up. You've given up. You've given up on that miracle or you've given up on that extraordinary thing that God wants to do in your life. I love personally hearing stories about people who don't give up. I knew a lady who prayed 25 years for her husband to come to know Jesus. She faithfully attended church week after week without her husband and continually, continually prayed for his salvation. Most of us would have got discouraged within a couple years. Some would have considered divorce, but not her. She continued to believe that God would eventually save her husband and one day he did. He accepted Jesus' gift of salvation and it changed him. And she rejoiced over that moment. I had another friend who wanted to become a realtor. She went to school. She took all the classes. She did very well in real estate school. But when it came time for her to take her state exam to get her license, she not only failed the test once, she failed it four different times. Now, this woman is sharp. She's articulate. But for some reason, she just couldn't pass her test. And every time she took the test, it cost her $250. Finally, on her fifth attempt, she passed. She received her realtor's license. I love the fact that she stuck it out. She didn't get discouraged. She saw her dream through. It's very interesting to tell you now, she is now a broker and has a firm in the Phoenix area, and they are knocking it out of the park down in the Phoenix real estate market. Listen, if God has given you a dream, if there is a promise that he has put into your heart, don't give up on it. We give up way too easily. We are so impatient. We are a fast food society. We want everything right now. And with French fries, thank you very much. Sometimes you got to hold out. 
Maybe we should just call that a sanctified stubborn streak. Anybody got a stubborn streak here? Well, may God sanctify it and use it for his purposes. Here's number three, and this one is unique. Find an expectability partner. We talk about accountability partners all the time. How about an expectability partner? Let me ask you, have you ever written down your expectations for your life, for your career, for your family, for your ministry involvement? It's a great exercise. You get a journal or a notepad and you say, God, here I am. What should I expect? And you write those expectations down and then allow someone close to you to hold you accountable to those expectations. So instead of an accountability partner, let's call it an expectability partner. You have to surround yourself sometimes with people who have more faith than you do. You need to surround yourself with people who raise the expectations. If you don't, if you solely rely upon your faith, when you're not meeting your expectations, you know what's going to happen? You're gonna start lowering your expectations. So I think the benefit of being a part of a church like this is when you breathe in this atmosphere, you're breathing in faith. And by the way, that's why it's important for you to share your victories and your testimonies with other people around here. On Monday of this week, Jenny came into my office and did just that. She was sharing some victories that were going on in her life and family. And whenever you do this, you are loaning your faith to someone else so they can believe. And, and also, as you hear their testimonies, you are borrowing someone else's faith. So we have to create an atmosphere here where miracles are expected. I mean, God is God. It's who he is. It's what he does. So you, if you are struggling with your faith this morning, or you are a new believer in Christ, you need to get involved in our first steps class. This class will help you to develop some basic theology and develop some daily spiritual disciplines to help you in your Christian walk. And every bit of what you learn will help you in establishing greater trust in God. In other words, you've trusted God to save you, to bring you salvation. Now you have to trust him for your daily existence, your daily Christian walk. And what happens is this, when you surround yourself with other believers in Christ, you begin to borrow little bits and pieces of their faith as you walk through the journey of exploring what this Christian life is all about. Now, if you're already a Christian, but you need to boost your faith, you should attend our Next Steps class. It is like, it's a continuation of first steps, but it goes deeper. It gives you more truth to live by, and who knows, maybe you'll meet your expectability partner there. I don't know. You see, faith is like a muscle. It must be exercised, and I hate to break it to you this way, but simply listening to a sermon on Sunday morning doesn't provide you with the adequate exercise that you need. But when you exercise your faith, your expectations will increase and they will become sanctified expectations. By the way, our first and next steps classes meet at nine o'clock on Sundays, right before this service. And then you come into the worship service. Here's number four, don't give up on God. 
He's not going to give up on you. He can't. He won't. It is not his nature. But sometimes, sadly, we give up on God. When you look at this man, this invalid of 38 years, he was still holding out hope. I don't know how many of you know who Nick Vujicic is, but he is a remarkable human being that Brooke and Lisa and I had the pleasure of meeting. Do we have his picture? Nick was born without arms and without legs, but the way he lives his life is pretty amazing. One of the things that he does whenever he speaks is he will wait around and he will talk to the last person that leaves, the, and he, has, he draws big crowds. I mean, this would be small for what he does. When he speaks, he hangs around and he will talk to anybody that wants to talk to him, and he hugs them. Now, you may say, how does a man without arms hug you? Well, what he does is he embraces you with his chin, and he pulls you in close. And my daughter, Brooke, she experienced one of his hugs. Now, you, think, you may think a man in that kind of a situation would be angry with God, but Nick made a defining decision to be just the opposite. He determined that he would not be angry with God for what he did not have, but instead he would be grateful to God for what he did have. He chose gratitude and he refused to be defined by his handicap. And the result is that he is married to a beautiful woman. They have beautiful children. He has a very successful worldwide ministry. I love the cover of one of his books called Unstoppable because it's got a picture of Nick surfing. <laughs> I can't surf with arms and legs, and here's this guy on a surfboard surfing. But here's what I love even more about him. He keeps a pair of shoes in his closet. If you have no legs, why would you need a pair of shoes? Nick says, I keep a pair of shoes in my closet because I believe in miracles. See, I believe we need reminders of the miracles that we are believing God for. And we need to hold out hope. And we need to pray that God would sanctify our expectations. Let me close with this. And again, I'm overloading you with stories, but these are my stories. The Bible college I attended was on the campus of Phoenix First Assembly. At that time, I really didn't understand who Tommy Barnett was or how influential he or his church was. I chose to attend Bible college there because I wouldn't have to move my family. I wouldn't have to uproot Lisa and Brooke and go somewhere else to go to Bible college. And I could still continue to work my small business while I was going to school there. I was simply being obedient to God's call for me to go into ministry. I had absolutely no idea where I would end up or what opportunities might unfold before me after my graduation. So I go to this school with the basic expectation that this was a part of the process that God was putting me through to get me ready for what he was asking me to do in ministry. But when I arrived at that school, I quickly learned that many people who attended there had an agenda. And that agenda was to work for Pastor Tommy Barnett, but not me. I was happy at the church I was attending. We were deeply involved, we loved our church. My agenda was simple. It was to earn the degree 
and see where God might eventually plant me in ministry. My, my agenda was simply to grow, to mature in the Lord, and to eventually graduate. And it really bothered me. I got to tell you, I could come home and tell Lisa about it. it. It drove me crazy how that so many of the students that attended that, that school positioned themselves in any way they possibly could to be seen and to be heard by Tommy Barnett, all in the hopes of maybe working on staff there one day. I told you my long story, I believe it was two weeks ago, but bear with me because this was a miracle in my life. After graduating from that college, after having sold my half of the business to my partner, like God had instructed me to do, with a new baby in the house, and soon to have no health insurance or no income whatsoever, I needed a miracle. So one day out of the blue, I received a call from none other than Phoenix First Assembly asking me if I would be interested in coming to work on staff there. Uh, hello, <laughs> yeah, I would. Out of all those hundreds of students who were attending and the hundreds who, who attended in the years before me that had graduated from that place, I was the one that was invited to join that staff. You talk about a miracle. It was a dream come true for me. And when I asked God, because I'm scratching my head, God, why did you bestow such a miracle and an incredible opportunity to get a start in ministry? Why did you bestow that upon me? And he told me it was because I was focused on him and not the prize. And here's what I wanna share with you. Sometimes we focus on the prize and we forget the giver of the prize. And I told you about the times that I would go up every morning before school started. I'd spend an hour in prayer in that balcony so I would stay focused on God so that he would see me through. My experience at Phoenix First was not skewed by what I might receive. I guess you could say it was one of those times when I truly had sanctified expectations. My experience and my expectations at that school was all about what God was going to be pouring into my life during those years that I attended and how he was going to prepare me for ministry in one of the best environments possible. And God rewarded me for keeping the main thing the main thing. I received an opportunity I didn't expect, an opportunity I wasn't looking for, and an opportunity that really I wasn't even qualified to perform. And it was then that I realized more than ever before in my life that my God is able. He is able. From that day forward, I have never doubted God's ability in anything. But let me be honest with you. When it comes to the will of God, I don't always get it right. Sometimes I second guess. I, I don't always know the when or the where or the how. But here's my point. I have one assumption, and that assumption is that my God is able. Faith is unlearning all of our assumptions until there is only one assumption left, and that is that God is able, and not just able, but more than able, and not just more than able, but as it says in Ephesians 3.20, able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us. 
So may God sanctify all of your expectations this morning. Scott, will you come forward? I'd like to ask you all to stand to your feet if you would. Over the past 30 minutes or so, doubt has been rearing its ugly head in this place. And disappointment is screaming at the top of his lungs. In addition, skepticism is haunting some of you. And they're all working to try to get you to believe that the word that has been offered to you this morning has no significance, it has no meaning, it has no truth to it. But with our feet having been firmly planted in the word of God, I think that we all come to a place where we understand that God is able. There are times when God chooses to glorify himself through miracles, and there are times when he, is glorifi he glorifies himself even through, yes, suffering. And God forgive us for believing either we can never experience a miracle or that we will always experience a miracle in our lives because somewhere in the middle, there is faith that we need to believe and that we need to hold out hope for. 38 years is not too long for us to believe that God is able. There are people here today who you've given up hope, which really when you translate it down means you've given up on God. And, and I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would come and speak to the place of vulnerability in your heart today. To speak to that place of doubt, to speak to that place where you're just enduring and you're barely hanging on. You're hanging on by the thread. That God would give us the hope that we need to hold fast to our promises. And so I wanna open this altar today as we end this service because I believe that there are people who need to have their expectations changed. They need to have sanctified expectations. You see, I think the, 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 you think what, hap what happens to a lot of people is you think the wrong things about God, his ability, his willingness to accomplish great things in your life and for your family. And because of that, you've lowered your expectations. You've boxed God either in or completely out. It says, that, it says in the Bible that with faith, you can move mountains. Therefore, I have to believe without faith, you're not gonna move a stinking thing. You see, you can't move in your life. God cannot move in your life if in your mind, you don't believe he's capable. You're just spinning your wheels, spiritually speaking, when your expectations are low or when they are even non-existent. And yet when you hear these stories about God doing great things, you wonder why none of them are happening for you. Well, it's because you've never fully given him your life. 
You're holding back. You have reservations. You have doubts. And so you need to come to this altar today and seek God for a greater understanding of who he is and exactly what he can accomplish in your life. There are others here today and you bought into the world's understanding of who God is. And you have this image of an angry old man in the sky who some killjoy is gonna crush you when you step out of line. You think he's no fun. You think that living a life for Christ is like living in a straitjacket, and so you've never committed your life fully to him. You've just always been on the fringe. You're coming in and out. You live in the world. You live in Christ. You, you, you're living a double life. You're going to be miserable in both. You've got to make a decision to give your heart and life completely to him. You have low expectations. In fact, thinking that way produces zero expectations. And when you have zero expectations, zero is exactly what you're gonna get. And let me tell you this morning, I have lived life in both camps. I have lived as a sinner whose life was falling apart at the seams and now as a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying to you is that in my relationship with Christ, I have experienced freedom like never ever before. There is no straight jacket on me, folks. And if you think I'm living in one, you need to retune your thinking. There is peace, there is fulfillment, there is true joy. Not a put on joy, there's a true joy. Here, listen, listen. What I'm saying is that if you won't submit your life fully to Christ, because you've, you've chosen to believe what other people are saying about him and they don't have a clue what they're talking about. You're listening to people who've had no experience with God and they're telling you all the wrong things and you're buying it hook, line, and sinker. But we see in the Bible time after time after time where God has done incredible things. And of course, I have my own experiences and you do too to prove the fact that God is real and God is powerful. But he's not just real and wants to play a part in every aspect of my life and of your life every single day. So here's the bottom line, folks. Jesus loves you. He's crazy about you. He wants so much to have a relationship with you, so much that he died on the cross so that you would experience a relationship with him. He died for your sin so that you could be set free, so that you could experience an abundant life and have peace on this earth in all of your dealing and through all of your circumstances. And if you're interested in receiving salvation, you can come to this altar too. But really, you don't even have to come to this altar. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says, for it is with your mouth that you believe and are justified, it is, excuse me, it is with your heart that you believe and justified, it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. If you wanna be saved, you just simply need to pray a prayer of confession and belief and God will save you and he will give you a fresh start. Your sins will be forgiven and you will become, as the Bible says, a new creation. There are others here today and you're dealing with a physical ailment of some kind, you aren't well, you need to come to this altar and you need to pray to the only one who can bring healing to you. But you've got to understand whatever you come to this altar for, you've got to come with high expectations, 
with sanctified expectations that the prayer of faith can bring about your healing or what it is that you need this morning. Whatever you need to ask of the Lord today, this altar is open. I invite you to come and to lay it at the foot of the cross as the worship team sings. Let's come and let's spend some time in prayer. Allow the pastors to pray for you and then we will close the service. Yeah. 
all those at the altar continue to pray, I'd like you to bow your heads with me and close this service in prayer. Precious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it shows us so much that we need to know. And, and Father, my first prayer is that this church family would become a Bible reading family, that it would become a part of our daily life, that we would all grow in our knowledge of you, that we would sanctify our expectations and that we would really understand and believe down to the bottom of our heart every day that, that you are able in all things, in all circumstances, and that we put our trust fully in you. Father, thank you that you are doing great things already in the lives of many in this church. As I hear the stories and I see the growth and I see people stepping up and, and skidding out of their comfort zone and doing things that they probably never dreamed they could do before, but with your power in them, your spirit within them, God, they are doing things and, and what a life-changing uh, moment that is for each and every one. And it's exciting to see this, Lord. I thank you for the work that you are doing in this body. I thank you for the growth and I thank you for, for new believers who are coming in and, and getting on fire for who you are and you in their life. God, I just pray that you'd be with us. Help us to be a church where when we breathe, we breathe in hope. We breathe in the idea that with God, all things are possible. That when we pray, we pray with the intention of having our prayers answered, that we have faith God, much greater than that of a mustard seed because we know who we serve and we know how powerful you are. So, Father, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our steps, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have. Those conversations, Lord, would build people up and not tear them down. Pray that we would be bright lights in a very dark world. And that brightness is from the love of Christ in our hearts. And it would be so overwhelming to those who have never experienced it that they would literally come to us and say, what is it that is different about you? It happens every day. And Father, I pray for divine appointments for my church family this week that you'll bring someone into their path that they can share your goodness with them. Bring them to church, Father, that they may find salvation and come to know you. Father, I pray that for our city. We need a revival in our city, and I pray that it will start right here at this church as each one of us takes the Great Commission seriously and we start to talk to our loved ones and our friends and our work associates about a relationship with Christ. What an amazing thing could happen here if we all allowed you to empower us to do those things, that we did not hold back and reserve ourselves away from that and that we would find great joy in doing it. So I thank you, Father, for the appointments that we are going to have this week. Father, I pray until we gather together again next week that you would keep us safe from sickness and disease. You would keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us so that we can join together as a church family again and worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we leave here today, Father, that we would go in love and we would be a great testimony to the goodness of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today.